<sighs> Ooh. All right. <laughs> sorry, Jason. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jason. Anyway, um, so <laughs> if you're listening to this by audio, Jason just saw a, the video that we're going to be doing, and he's already lamenting the fact that he signed up and clicked the link to come into today's show. He's already lamenting it before he even gets started. Um, so let me start with this. I, um, I think it's. I think we can talk about this publicly, Jason. With the fact that we're going to be doing. What do we want to call it? An event? A Knox Unplugged Live? What? Knox Unplugged Live. Yeah. Event. Yeah. The Knox Unplugged Live event. We're going to be doing one live in um, Nashville. Did we think the 13th? I can't remember. I think so. Yeah. Um, with David Fowler. And we're hoping to get George Grant. We don't have him signed up yet, but that's the goal. Um, and there's only going to be 50 seats that are going to be available for this. And what I, 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 we've been trying to think of something to do that um, we could have in person. It's kind of like a class, but not really. It's kind of like a, a, a conference, but not really. Something that's way more interactive, someone, something that's like us sitting in a room and having a conversation with each other naturally, and people get to engage and have questions and, and kind of talk through a lot of things that we work through here on Knox Unplug and, and deal with um, – kind of core what we think are core problems that if we get right we will start to see a domino effect of secularism unraveling right is that fair that's probably the best is that fair to say yeah. something like yeah. that um and to use some of the weapons that you know we've been trying to develop here on Knox Unplug, some of the poetic uh weapons and uh, talk about the family and the source of that um the impact that fatherhood really has i, I jason i am I know that there's a lot of things for me to engage with culturally. I know there's a lot of battles out there, but the one that I feel like the most important battle for me to fight is to be a good husband and to be a good father. There is nothing. Um, if if I have to miss a march or miss a voting tally to go and love my wife and love my kids, I will miss every last one of them because that for right. me is, you know, and I don't want to put those two things against each other, but I think sometimes the way that we fight, we forget that um, that really is the thing that all the secularism wants us to stop doing. Right. They want us to get busy like them and, and forget our duties, you know? Right. And that, um, it be, which is a refusal to remember how the world works. Right. Right. So, um, anyway, I was just bringing that up cause I wanted people to know what we're doing, what we're trying to do. And, um, if you guys are interested in coming to Nashville, we've tried to do something really simple, which is like keep the tickets to 50 bucks and just cover um, the event and what we're doing. We're just, we just want to get together and fellowship and yeah. um, try to have some, something beyond the screen and the podcast to be able to engage with folks at and outside of emails to answer questions, just face-to-face -face fellowship for that day. Um, and so we got a great event that we're planning on working through. Uh, but if you, again, there's only 50 seats. So if you're around the area and you want to come and you want to fellowship and hang out, um, I think you're going to find the combination between. So David Fowler and the law. And uh, of course, give me anything, George Grant. I don't care. He can talk about <laughs> tennis shoes and I'm right. there for him. And then Jason and working through the cosmos and 
um, some of the issues of narcissism. So I just make sure I just want to let people know about that. Um, what email should they send? Like, oh, you should I give them your email if they want to inquire about coming or. Yeah, we could do that, although I'm not going to be the one that knows all the answers. That's yet. <laughs> what? I mean, Out of all the things we do on Knox Unplugged, <laughs> you don't have the answers, Sway? You don't yeah, have the answers? Yeah. Um, but they can, I mean, we'll probably have to <coughs> set up something you know, for them to, a sign-up page or something, right? Yeah, let's do this. How about we have people send uh, emails to contact at fightlaughfeast.com. That way I get those and I'll be able to let everybody know once we get the sign up page going, we can have those 50 slots available. And we'll do Nashville because we do our conference in Nashville. Uh, David Fowler's in Nashville. Um, it seems like to be an easy enough hub. I think I would like to do something like this in multiple states. I would like to hit up Dallas next and do something like this um, down there and, you know, maybe Florida, you know. Um, definitely got to do something in Spokane, Washington. Um, yeah. So I think we want to do a bunch of these kind of almost like coffee shop talks um, or knocks and plugs, but kind of try and make an event of the day and, and get to people's town and just trying to do it for a small group. 50, if a hundred show up, then great, but we only are allocating a 50, um, 50 person setup. Uh, that's what we're planning for. So that's what we have room for. I, I, if a hundred people show up, it'd be interesting. Had to figure out something, but that's not what we're doing. It's 50, no, well, 50 setup. Well, well, fun with whoever shows up, but of course, so there's, there's going to yeah. be a party there, but it's going to be 50. Um, so about two weeks ago, um, I ran across a clip. It's actually this been percolating for about three, maybe a month. But Jason, we do shows and we'll talk, and I'm not always ready for the conversation that we have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm there i'm just not always ready and so we'll talk and then it'll sit with me for like maybe four or five months i don't know how you tolerate me it'll be six months five six months it'll sit with me and then i'll get it and when i get it i got it it's locked in and and everything becomes that like when we start talking about gnosticism like everything is gnosticism you know (laughs) it's my it's my cage stage for a little bit yeah yeah unplug knocks for real um and so when we talked about a demonic possessed culture i remember having that conversation and i was like oh okay that's what's going on i remember there was a process the process was um erotica and erotic uh, that leads to a violence that leads to uh, actually yeah erotica leads to violence that leads to murder right or demon possession what was it first is first is the dislodgement Right. So, so ah. it's the dis, it starts with the dislodgement, um, because so, which leaves us open to, um, you know, it's, it's the, the emptiness of the, uh, the, the emptiness of either our connections to reality or just the emptiness that comes from dislodgement from reality. Um, and then <clears throat> what, it started with Soren Kierkegaard trying to explain what he was seeing um, with modernism coming along and the, the dislodgement from the, the old cosmos, right? So Soren Kierkegaard is post enlightenment Christian philosopher, thinker 
who sees that we're no longer really connected to the cosmos anymore, right? That, that we no longer believe that there's this, um, we no longer believe or take on, take at face value the interconnectedness of the cosmos as a single unit. Um, at, and so that, and, and that led, led to an experience of dislodgement, an experience of emptiness, that the world was empty, the heavens were empty, and there, and um, therefore, when we looked inside, we found emptiness. He said, at the same time, you see um, that there's this rise in spiritual eroticism, or like a religious eroticism. So you, it's not that there wasn't eroticism before, but what had happened was with Christianity you have the um the the sexuality is moved it um from its position in the old world uh of where it was um either a way to prove your power right um it was a domination sort of thing when it came to the, you know the way that we dealt with um one another or it was uh, a you know a legal way of you know making kids uh so often in the ancient world you had men um men were expected or women were expected to not ha- um be promiscuous mm-hmm. at all because their womb was connected to house money right what the the money from the house went to the children that came from the womb of of the wife right and be, so the womb was an economic uh, was a financial thing right which is still true but that's what i'm saying all, like I, yeah yeah I, that's I, not I, all of it right? right 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 it's more than um, that it's more than that right so uh the so but the but men weren't expected to be to to not be promiscuous because you know that they could throw their seed anywhere and it didn't have financial repercussions in the ancient world right except that wasn't true at all <laughs> well it could have financial repercussions for some if it was somebody else's wife right but as long as it was a prostitute another man anything you know um the, the there were all sorts of there there wasn't this expectation Right. Promiscuity, pro, you know, you you read something like, um, you know, you you read the Odyssey, and you can you simultaneously have, um, you you have Odysseus, he's basically sleeping his way across the ancient world, he's sleeping with all sorts of women all along, and decrying the fact. Well, once he comes to the conviction, he he decries the fact that he's not at home with his wife. Um, but that doesn't keep him, (laughs) that doesn't keep him sexually faithful, even though he's the hero and he's got the right intuition. I should be home with my wife. That would be better. It doesn't keep him from sleeping with goddesses and, um, princesses he find on, finds on islands and, you know, uh, but the, the, those two things aren't opposed to one another, right? What you do sexually is not considered. Uh, what what a man does sexually is not 
wrapped up in his marital faithfulness in the ancient world. Well, what happens is when Christianity comes along, the, um, the, it simultaneously puts, it begins limiting, you know, it, it, it tamps down men and it says, no, that actually is faithlessness, mm. right? What you do with your body, um, what you do with you know, sexually is a part of your marital faithfulness and becomes, you know, part of your vows and all that. Um, not, so not just for women because it's not, because it's, it's D it's, there's still a financial aspect, but it becomes more, much more than a financial arrangement. Right. And so, um, it, because it becomes an allegory of the deepest reality. So it becomes sexuality, but sex, the husbands and what the, the sex life of a husband and wife, um, come to be understood for what it always has been, which is an allegory for um, God's relationship with his people. Um, so Christ and the church is, is the central and becomes the central image of the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, now it is, uh, it, it's an allegory that works, um, you know, the uh it's it's not um they understood that it's a this you know you've got this that we are a part of the poetry right that yeah so we well what happens though is when so sexuality is elevated to an allegorical understanding of divine reality take the divinity out and now you have what Kierkegaard calls the spirit of the sexual erotic or the genius um, like and we've talked about this before the older understanding of genius is that it was a it, it's a spirit right not a like when we say genius we tend to think that guy's got a big brain right the older understanding of genius was like a genie in a bottle that there's a a a spiritual entity that is empowering, um, empowering you or possessing you. And so extra human, huh? Extra human. Yeah, exactly. So Kierkegaard, he sees this, the, the stripping away of the in, integrated cosmos um, after you have, ha so that which has, which has elevated sexuality to, this understanding of an allegory of the divine, you strip away the cosmos that justifies that, but you keep the understanding of sexuality as something that has elevated to the divine. And he says, what you end mm. up with is this spirit of erotic genius. This, this erotic genius is what he calls it. This spirit okay. of eroticism that always leads that, that whose end is violence. So he see, so he sees this, and he points it out, but he, and he just was like, and there it is. I don't know, you know. And so he says, "What do you do with it, right? Because you've you've got it produces. On the one hand, it will produce something incredible, some kind of incredible artistic feat, right? Like Don Giovanni Mozart's opera Don Giovanni, this incredible musical." musical artwork that's inspired that's a musical storytelling that's inspired by 
um, this what he calls the, the erotic genius, the spirit of uh, the spirit of eroticism. Um, he says, but then it turns it turns on itself, right? It's self, it but it has a self destructive end. So um, it, that always it always has a self destructive uh, end to it because um, it's the self turning in on itself for its ultimate fulfillment. For itself, for itself, <laughs> turning yeah. itself for itself. on itself for itself, right? And he said that that when the self turns in on itself in a cosmos in which the self is an allegory of something else or of someone else, right? It's the self is an allegory of God, which is what Calvin. I mean, so Calvin talks about this in the opening of his Institutes, where the selfhood, the the self being an allegory, uh, as made in the image of God, an allegory of of the divine um, that has a place. So to, so to turn in on yourself and inspect yourself is to look away from yourself in an integrated cosmos that mm. is allegorical cosmos to take, to take the self out of that integrated allegorical cosmos and then turn in on yourself is the thing that Kierkegaard is saying, look out world. <laughs> this is not going to go well. But he sees it so far in advance that um, a lot that a lot of even Christians in the day didn't know what to do with what Kierkegaard was talking about. So he he had a vision. Uh, so he he had a vision at, at right as right at the turning point of the Enlightenment. He saw modernism. So he when is Kierkegaard? Eighteen eighteen late seventeen early eighteen hundreds is his life. I can give you his, his exact dates. No, no, no. Yeah, that's that's fine. It, yeah. Um, so he so he's at the tail end of the Enlightenment, right? So you've got the scientific revolution, and Kierkegaard is this brilliant Dutch philosopher who sees the effect. Um, he he sees the deadening of the church that happens with the shift in the cosmological understanding, and 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 is investigating it philosophically right he now he doesn't always give um you know he sometimes the answers that he gives aren't straight up great you know um, because he's be but he's the one who basically sounds the alarm he's kind of the canary in the coal mine who's like "Uh uh-oh we're all dying and falls over and you go oh he's on to something he he, he's his attempts to come up with an answer. He didn't always get the answer um, correct. Although he def he said it was in the word of God, right? He said that it, it becomes our, the experience of God, um, the experience of God in the word of God. He said, I know that's where the answer lies. Um, but his attempts at fleshing that out didn't always, sometimes they just didn't make sense, honestly. I mean, it might be because he's writing in Dutch and it's in translation and, and all that, and I might not be understanding it. But when I read Kierkegaard, there are times when it be, um, when it's diff, when I think he's, he understands that the restoration of humanity in, in terms of the re, uh, the re, the re lodging of humanity into reality has to begin with a direct experience of God in the word of God. But then his explanations of what, how that ends up working itself out. Sometimes I think it just comes down to a, he doesn't, uh, he he thinks about it in, he he doesn't 
um, always work it out in the con in the con conceptual trinitarianism, right? So, uh-huh. and but I mean, he's the first one to do it, so he was a gift gift to the church um, to so to get the questions right. <laughs> this is before um, we get Darwinism, right? Uh, yes. So the there probably is some overlapping dates. Um, let me get the dates exactly right. But you know, when you start talking about the canary in the, the coal mine, like, I don't know if everybody knows, of course it took, my dad was a coal miner. And so the canary was the one who would, um, and understand the environment, the oxygen, the canary goes, you can expect that you're probably going to go to, right? So it was like their oxygen or, or, um, carbon dioxide detector. Right, right. So uh, Kierkegaard was 1813 to 1855. So he's early 19th century. Um, Darwin's on the Beagle in 1936. So he that uh, I think 1936 is when he lands on that island and sees the finches, the different length of the uh, of the finches' beaks, um, and so it probably published Origin of Species. Right around the time Kierkegaard was dying, so Kierkegaard saw in advance because he he understood the philosoph- the cosmological dislodgement, and he and one of the things that he says um, that is you mean eighteen thirty five right eighteen thirteen to eighteen fifty five. But I mean, yeah, Darwin. So, oh, what did I say? Did I say nineteen? Yeah, 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 I was like nineteen thirty five. I think it's 1835, 1836. Yeah. He's on the Beagle um, and putting to. So he ends up publishing on the origin of species. Yeah. So he was writing on the origin of species when Kierkegaard died. But mm. Kierkegaard saw in advance. So Kierkegaard, he's often called the father of existentialism, which is not, it's not a, it's not false, but it's actually not the most important thing about him. <laughs> it it was the the influence he had was a lot of the later existentialists um, uh, saw that he was he was right to point out the cosmological dislodgement. Kierkegaard said, "But the the response is to draw near to God in His Word." Right. That's that there is that there is a way out of the cosmological dislodgement by drawing near to God and his word. Um, So, Jason, could you the later existentialists all said there is no there is no solution. So what um, define existentialism for me? What is existentialism? uh, Existentialism is the the um, study. What's I mean, it's the study of existence, uh, but the existentialist movement was a post-enlightenment. Um, it, it was it was the, the study of existence. Once you understand that we aren't uh, Im- the image of God, huh. right, right. So it the interesting. You, okay. So the you get existentialism because you have the cosmos shifting the understanding of the cosmos shifting right if we do if this place isn't you if darwinism is true if 
this is this place is self-formed by the laws of nature then what does it mean to be human in that setting and the existentialists all said there is no ultimate meaning in a self-formed universe that um in which we aren't we are created by the universe um by the laws of nature there is no ultimate meaning if there is no ultimate meaning how do we account for our existence okay um right so that so so kierkegaard is the one who says if the if we have been this new understanding of the cosmos has no place for us as the image of god right So so kierkegaard was the one who sounded the alarm that all the shift, all, all the cosmological shifting is is causing dislodgement, is co- is causing the dislodgement of the self, right? There's no place for selfhood if if the universe has created itself, and we're just a part of the self creation right, of, right. of the universe by the laws of nature. Is this does this get to the same thing like? Um, where you get to Romans one and you get to idolatry where, but uh, men become like their idols, they become what they worship. And so when you remove the image of God from the equation and you start focusing on the created things rather than the creator, then you start, of course, you're going to feel some sort of dislodgement because you're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm not imaging the thing I'm supposed to be imaging. So you get this kind of, right. This is the, this is what the feedback loop is inescapable. Right. Right. So, I mean, you, you've went the, like the psalmist says um, that the idolater worships the work of his own hands. Right. Uh-huh. And so um, he, he says, so it's so real. So idolatry is always some form of self-worship. What happens post enlightenment is that you even take the wooden statue out of the equation and you just worship your own hands. Right. Mm. So there's not even so the 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 <laughs> loop of idolatry is shrunk, right? So, to this, so you just turn in on yourself. So at least well, who made the idol? Idolatry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, right. At least in ancient idolatry, there there was a loop in which you look out of yourself, even though it's coming from your own hands, right? So existentialism is the acknowledgement that when that all that you've got left is your the experience of your own selfhood and wow. so you turn in on yourself and yourself doesn't even point you away from yourself anymore right so um it, it's it's a recipe for all of the uh you know uh, um it, it's the reason that we were susceptible to all the forms of nationalism fascism uh communism all, you know, all, all of the things that said all the isms give, all the isms let me give you because everybody was looking for something that pulled their eyes away from their own self which in which it was despair mm. and darkness right so you're 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 susceptible to the isms when your self is empty because you've been everything you try and fill it with you devour and destroy Right. Okay. And so so you see this with sexuality um, and this uh, this erotic genius or the spirit of eroticism, um, you know, this 
erotic demoni. He he calls it the erot the the erotic de- uh, demoniac um, that we become this erotic demoniac, right? Um, because you have uh, you turn in on yourself, look to yourself for ultimate meaning, and the the one time that you feel connected to reality is in the sexual act, and so it becomes. Uh, whatever it takes to get that feeling of connection that in the sexual act you are, you are willing to do because the circle is no bigger than yourself. Right. So, but, but the problem is being made in the image of God, even the circle that only involves ourself is designed to take in the infinite fellowship of God. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Because as you were talking earlier and you start talking about this is why the Lord's Supper and baptism are so important. Like this is sacraments. This is why God gave us sacraments. Right. Right. Because well, we, when you the, go ahead, we were God didn't make us for the sacraments. Right. The sacraments are made for us. We we're the kind of creature that need external the the external covenant markers yes. um right to to pull us out of ourselves um because otherwise we'll turn in on ourselves right we'll become we when we talk about faith oh we'll my be goodness people that inspect faith rather than have it right we'll turn in and we'll become faith focused <laughs> people rather than <laughs> focused by faith we'll become focused on faith right on our own okay right? okay, we, okay that's the well, kind of people hey. we are Fruit inspection. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think, okay, I, I don't, I don't want to miss whatever you got there, but I want to add something to this because the whole reason we're having this conversation now that you're going to, I know you've been trying to talk so you don't have to deal with this, but I'm going to bring it in. The whole <laughs> yep. reason we've been having this conversation. This stuff makes sense. <laughs> <He's> like, is <laughs> because, um, I saw this clip. Now, these are five men who are dressed up as women, makeup, hair, everything. Try, they're trying to disguise themselves as women. They're blackface for women. And they start having a conversation about cultural appropriation. And I saw play the clip and then I'm going to respond to it afterwards. Okay. Can you hear that? Uh, Did you hear it when it was playing? No. You didn't hear that? I didn't hear that, no. Okay, let me see if I can get the audio right. Uh, look, God might be doing a thing for you, Jason. He might be a thing for you. Um, Because, so the reason, the reason, uh, I don't know why you're not hearing it. No, I can't hear it. Oh. I'm going to try and add it back in here. God might be coming through for you, Jason. <laughs> might be coming through for you. He does. He does that a lot. Uh, he's like, no, you don't get it today. Here it goes. Maybe this is it. All right. Yeah, I just feel like there's yeah. such. You can hear it now? Okay. Woo-hoo. I can hear it now. All right. Inside the source material. Yeah, I just there's such a long rooted history in appropriation from black culture. Like 
for instance, like when I go to the Metropolitan Museum and I see things that they've taken from Africa, I, I see things that they've taken from Nubia, uh, and then you go and you, yes, and then you go and you look at these pillars and then there's this white man samuel something something 1800 going and saying i'm putting my ownership on something that was never mine to begin with and then they go yeah i discovered it so then it gives me this ownership like i can take it and it can be mine and i feel like it's that entitlement that is one thing that we really need to discuss like there is a way i feel to very much so appreciate somebody's culture but so many times like bob says there are times where you know they cite the source but they don't that's the weirdest thing do they not see (laughs) well that's the thing okay so again so when i saw this clip all i could think about was okay so this is obvious like this is obvious it's clear that there's a contradiction here and everyone sees it, even them. I, they, they see, everybody sees it. And everybody's going to respond to the things that are seen here and, and point out those individual things. Like, okay, these are men who are dressed like women who are talking about white folks appropriating a culture that's not theirs. Men appropriating women who they are not or can never be white folks might actually be able to be in black culture and be a part of it and engage in it. that's uh, that's way more reality you know how many yeah. white folks i grew up inside of black culture? that's a reality they can never be a part of the reality that they're trying to fake you know what i mean yeah so i mean i saw kevin bacon in the air up there i remember <laughs> white man can jump they proved it in the movie yeah. you know what i'm saying so talk about a dated reference for 900 i know, I know. Um, that was that was so bad <laughs> Yeah, people people understand me. Um, and if you ain't seen white man can't jump, then you need to go watch it. Yeah, doggone it. Right. Um, yeah. it's a classic. <laughs> uh, but but there is when I saw this, I realized there's no argument that I can it, since it's so obvious, it's so clear, there's no argument that I can make that will be effective against this type of situation. This is demonic, right. This right here goes beyond a logical form of argumentation to try and prove something wrong. This is something that has to be purely cast out. There's, you, you don't you don't yeah. you don't have a debate with this. You know what I mean? You don't make up your best logical argument to try and convince um, these people that they are wrong. That there is no verbal argumentation on this. This is this is a problem inside of culture that has a genie in it right this is demonic yeah. this is possession and i was and so i saw this three weeks ago and i was like how do we we are i, I can't make and this is not the only area i can see it in so many different areas i see it in some of the politics that we're having i see it in in um the whole trans movement i see it in the home i see it in the same thing with women and pastors it's everywhere um just recently the shooting that happened in tennessee just yesterday, right? Yeah, you have um, so tragic. So there was a there was a couple of things. This yeah, super tragic. There was a couple of things though. Immediately, I thought about it was like when our women are going into schools and shooting them up because the first message out was this is a woman who has gone a twenty eight year old woman who used to be a student at the school went inside and shot up 
Six killed six people, six, three uh, children who were nine and three adults. And I was like, man, the fact that our women now, this one was different than some of the other ones because a woman was going in here and killing. So there's a natural, the nature of a woman has been completely removed and right. God has given us over in some way that is different than before. Cause that's, that's different. And then when I re realized that they said that this person was identifying as a man is trans i was like oh this is well it's still a woman and we have a problem here it's just it's a different type of problem because a, a woman who is still functioning as a woman doing this means one thing a woman who has given up her uterus and decided to become a man um gives us a whole different kind of problem right, we, right. we've got perversion on two different levels but they're not the exact same there is. And so I just remember us having the conversation of a demon possessed culture. And I'm like, yo, how first, how do we get here? And then what do we do to get out of this? Because part of me, Jason, is thinking. You're going to have to let this run its course. You're going to have to be somewhat under the judgment of God while you stay faithful and this whole thing goes insane, right? Like there's, there's a part yeah. of me that feels like that. And I'm not trying to say like, give up and move out and, and don't engage. But when you're under the judgment of God, we've talked about this before. You don't escape that as a nation, right? You don't escape the judgment of God. There is always like, look, like Egypt was under the judgment of God. God's people were in the midst of it and they had their lights on while Egypt didn't have any lights. Right. So, <laughs> you can be under the judgment of God and protected at the exact same time. And I think some Christians forget that. Right. Um, but so that's one aspect of this for me. And there's another aspect where I'm like, grab the holy water, grab the holy oil, <laughs> grab my people who speak in tongues and to my cap. I don't care. Get them. And we can yeah. all go out and figure out how to cast out these demons because <laughs> we got some demons. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want my charismatic folks to come through and start speaking in tongues and laying on some hands and let's get these demons yeah. going. But when we're dealing with a demon possessed culture, I feel it's not, it's a different situation. And so I, I guess, so you, we got from existentialism being dislodged brings us to this eroticism. And, and now that eroticism that you were talking about brings us to what? Well, I, First, I think it's important that we th that we realize that the reason we're here is because we tried to clean the house without Jesus, right? So, the um, psychology. You, you think we had a demon? We oh, had okay. a demon. Okay. We cleaned the house, yeah. and now we got seven. When right. do we clean the house? So, like, what would you, what would be your marker? Like, man, we we actually tried to clean the house at at this point. I, um, I think the entire psychotherapy movement. So, psychology means the study of the soul. The psyche is the soul, and it's attempt to put the soul right because they and it grows up because the soul, the soul is gets crackly and broken, and you know, psyche. I believe the Greek word mean is butterfly but it also means soul which i think there's something to that um but you start getting conversations about 
soul, soul, like soul sickness. Um, yeah. Uh, in this, you know, in the late 18, but really the early 1900s, right? Something's wrong with the soul of America. Something's wrong with the soul of mankind. And, um, and it, it's so the, you've got Freud is kind of the, the main uh-huh. figure. Um, but you've also got Carl Jung, you've got, um, all these different psychologists. Wait, Carl Jung too? Carl Jung. So he was a student of Freud. Um, they have all yeah, these I remember we talked about that. Yeah. All these discussions about the soul and the brokenness of the soul and the, and how are we going to fix the soul? And they, um, and you've, you've a huge explosive movement and at the heart. So we, when we talk about um, this is something that we often miss because of the way we tell the story about all of the mainline denominations going wrong. Um, we, the mainline, because the fight was over, was theological but the evidence of the which which of the which churches went with the modernist movements that um they were the ones that were preaching psychology right so they they weren't going out and preaching heresy straightforwardly in the mainline denominations right in the what became the united methodist church the pc what became the pc usa um the what became the the lutheran the, the mainline lutheran churches right they weren't preaching heresy directly they were preaching psychology they were so they're and it's because the, and that and because psychology was going to put right what was broken the soul. Right? Mm. the soul and they understood that the soul was broken and we tend to think of psychology now as mind fixing the mind um and so we call it mental health we call it all that which um and the 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 mind can have a problem and the the brain can have problems and but um it was more honest to say this is a soul problem soul the soul scripturally speaking is the point of integration for the whole human, right? When you talk about the soul, we're talking about the, the integrated human body and spirit together is um, in, integrated at the, in, in soul. Um, and the, so it's, so it's a, it's a misnomer to talk about the soul. In, in my understanding, it's a misnomer to talk about the soul um, living on after death. It's the spirit that lives on, and then is reunited with the body, right? So the body and the spirit are divided and the spirit exists. The soul is the integrated, the integrated body spirit of mankind, right? And so the, the disintegration or the lack of integration of the human being begins to be studied in a, with science saying science will put this right. And it really, up until you get to BF Skinner, who, um, was a he so he he used to say that the um so bf skinner was a pure materialist that if you had the 
you are just responding to whatever Im- uh, your impulses are just simple responses to what came in. So when you were a kid, you were tra- treated this way, this happened. And so now you are responding, right? So we're purely um, a cause and effect material materialism. And he created this, what did they call the Skinner box where you would put people in them and you would reset all you know, they would you would put them through childhood again you would reset all of their um all of their inputs all of the causes so that to get new effects so if somebody was having a hard time integrating with society then you would um you, you would take them away from society and rebuild them with by and oh it got so goodness. weird sometimes that you would they would like force people through reforce people through a birth canal like a a, a you know Wait, this so is would, a this is artists do this stuff now yeah, to try yeah. and say that we're rebirthing ourselves and we're this is rebirthing right so yeah but you think about it prisons do this not, it's the problem is not that they that you don't need a rebirth that mm. they're right right. The problem is trying to give them one through science. We need a rebirth from the Holy Spirit, right? We're, we're told that the problem is our original birth and that rebirth is the solution. <laughs> but wow. they, they're trying to do it with science and, you know, uh, and that that's going to put the, the soul right. When that fails, everybody turns to drugs. So it's not like drugs show up. I don't know if you saw the new Jesus revolution. It's, quite well done i um what one of the things what? Was the new jesus revolution movie i haven't seen it yet we had joel on i just yeah. haven't seen it yet yeah so it's very well done one of the things that i think is great is they show timothy leary as the evangelist that he he was right he's going around preaching we can fix things through drugs that's because they had just failed fixing things through psychotherapy right because they said well it turns out it's not just input output as the problem, but it's actually a chemical problem. We need to risk. We, we need a chemical rebirth and LSD is going to do that or um, antidepressants are going to do that or you know, what, whatever it is. So, C.S. Lewis he, was onto this. C.S. Lewis he was, was onto all of oh. it. Right. So this is the, he's the one that I'd learned all, to look for all of this stuff from. Right. So you've got this attempt to clean the house through psych psychology psychotherapy um psychiatry uh the um without jesus and this is why what's so hard is there are people that are helped by psychiatry and that's not a problem right because you and often they mislabel what the help was right because <laughs> account um have you seen the new shrinking I just started it. So yes. I don't know if it's good or not, but I just started it. What's crazy um, is what I, what my wife and I have been saying for a long time is, you know, a counselor can be really helpful, but really they're just a professional friend. That's right. 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 But, um, and that's not, a, that's not a problem, right? We need, we, we might need that right now to get through this particular phase of things. But that, but shrinking the new Apple movie TV show, that's what this psychi- this counselor realizes. Like, what these people actually need is a friend, and I'm not helping them at all. And so he starts actually becoming friends with his patients, and it helps a bunch of them. But it, 
but it means that he has to start helping them carry their problems. And so yeah. it's also ca- causing him problems, but it's also helping put some of his stuff right. And um, you've got the old school counselor um, who played by uh, Harrison uh, Ford. Harrison Ford and he does a he's brilliant he does a really good job of playing like the old line counselor who's like if you care about your patients you'll be useless you gotta not care you gotta be stay objective right and it's really funny but he it's showing that it's usually the human connection that actually helps people right the human connection with the counselor it's not the it's not generally the methods sometimes it's like life they don't have life skills because they didn't get them growing up and some and a friend gives them life skills and they pay their friend for it right that's counseling um and so so some people can be helped but if you clean the house uh of it but and you don't then come in with the holy spirit you end up with seven demons and that's where we're at right you look around and you're that like, show proves that too. Shrink shrinkage proves that too. Like every time he fixes oh, a problem, right? I haven't gotten very far. I worse. just watched the pilot last well, night. I, yeah, the first episode proves that though, as he's fixing yeah, yeah, the yeah. problem. You're right. Right? He goes to that soccer game and he makes it worse, but now he makes it worse for everybody. It's not just worse for the guy who had the problem. It's worse for the person who was another person who was counseling and his own daughter yeah. and him. And, yeah, you right. know, yeah. and so no, it's, you, you got to blur in jail and all sorts of stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious where that show's going to go because. Yeah, me too. Um, the, the setup, but I haven't, I mean, they just started it. So you mark, you mark the, the, that we were trying to do something then with yeah. the whole, and, and the, Go ahead. Right. So I so I think you've got basically like 1900, um, really through about 1940, 1950, you've got the the first cleansing of the house through psychology, um, and the, so and the and all of the mainline denominations fell to the worldliness of psychology. It affected their theology. And there was heresy involved and all sorts of things. But what they were saying is, no, but this this actually is helping people. You, what you're doing is not helping people. Mm-hmm. Because the attempts to preach the gospel um, in that era, um, you have the rise of dispensationalism, which is the, where you buy into the broken down cosmology, but still try and preach the book of Revelation. Right. Like what, how do you interpret the book of revelation with with a broken, with a, when in a new, in the new modernist cosmology, you get dispensationalism. So, um, but it's a, it's a retreatist. That's why you get a retreatist cosmology or a a retreatist movement in dispensationalism, right? The, the, um, the church was never a retreatist institution. It was a advancing, a converting institution. Um, it and but it was the it, antidote, it, right? It was the antidote, right? It came in and said, "Let's put this garden right." If you've got, if you no longer view the universe as a united whole, right? If if you no longer view this place as a garden, as a as a um, as a, a broken down garden waiting to waiting for a gardener. Um, 
but you want to hold on to Jesus saves us, then he saves us from this place, not to this place. And dispensationalism is a, is a version of Christian is a Christian version that fits with the false cosmology of modernism. I'm looking up as you're talking. I'm probably not anything about the first one. Uh, what was, um, I'm going to find this real quick because I think you're right. So if you look at the early 1900s all the way, I would move your, your, your uh, markers all the way to the civil rights movement. I think there was a lot of cleaning that was going on in America that happened from 1900s to, uh, you know, that give it 65, 67 years, 69 years, right? There's that, that, that time period where there's a lot of things where we couldn't even imagine the world as it was in that old nature, you know, just in the Jim Crow laws. Yeah. We, we, we have no recollection of that, really. I mean, not in the true form, but um, uh. I think it was the at least when school shooting started. That was the Columbine, the one that I really remember. Yeah. Columbine was kind of the one that set it off. We had had some mass shootings before that we've kind of claimed, but Columbine was different. Columbine was the gothic kind of you know underground picked on kids rising up and terrorizing their classmates and that was and then you know it was like okay columbine happened and then a few after that but now it feels way more common and it could be the technology that we have maybe but i think this i think they're happening more than they used to and it's almost as if we're waiting for the next one Right. We're, we're waiting for yeah. the next school shooting. We're waiting for the next mass shooting. Like we are at a place now where things have ramped up much higher than they used to be in the eighties and in the nineties and things are becoming more complex and we're, and it's happening where we're getting used to turning on our phones or getting a notification said, Oh, there's another one. It, it's, it's almost like a, just, it's like we're getting seared to it. And so I don't. I think you're right. I don't think it's an accident that we're, they're happening more, and it's not access to guns. It's not access to um, knives. It's not. There is something else in our culture that has this type of demonic possession that's acting itself out, and it happens to be happening right along the man turning into women. <laughs> Women turning into men, yes. LGBTQ stuff, you know, all this stuff is kind of. Go ahead, Jason. Well, so if you remember the really the end of what they call they call they said was going to be a sexual revolution, right, was Kent State. So you had the Texas Arlington shooting like 66 yeah. and then you had Kent State in 1970 and it basically ended the 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 um that era um and um it was you had people saying hey we're going to have a sexual revolution it was a failed sexual revolution 
right? If you look at the actual statistics, right? Um, but what happened was a lot of those folks that tried to do the sexual, tried to accomplish the sexual revolution went into education, right? And so they en ended up finally accomplishing the sexual revolution in the 90s. That's when the, that's when you get the turn in actual statistics, you get the turn away from marriage, you get the, um, so what you, but, and I think Columbine is evidence of the, uh, and, and then Columbine, not Columbine beginning all of the school shootings and having it be it kind of ramping is the evidence that the sexual revolution actually worked this time around. Whereas Kent State ended their first attempt, right? After that, everyone was like, whoa, 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 where's this all going? This is, we, um, we, we can't, we, this, this isn't okay. And I mean, you have the common, you also have the, uh, the attempt to use medication to keep kids in line, right? You've got the, uh, that oh, really yeah. takes off, right? So, um, so you all, but the old ways uh, um, of controlling people just didn't, they weren't working. Um, you had little pockets of sexual revolution, right? You have the Bauhaus um, movement, which is like a school of architecture slash trans movement. <laughs> That's the weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest thing, but it's like, um, so you, you uh, and that's coming out of Germany. Um, you've and it ends up and it lands in America and spreads throughout all of the universities. Uh, you you have you have little pockets here and there, um, but you really don't. You know, you've got uh, some of that in the 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 New York art scene in the uh, late in the seventies. Uh, you've you've um, but you don't really get a mass movement, a mass sexual revolution until you get to the nineties. Um, and it leads to violence, oh, right? It leads, it's that, it's that dislodgement of a generation, not just the artists of a generation, which we'd seen before where you saw that in the sixties and the seventies, the artists of that, of the generation felt keenly felt the dislodgement um, and acted on it. But you don't have a whole generation until the 90s. St so, statistically speaking. So then, okay, I, I think I can follow those patterns as you're talking. I'm making those patterns. I'm following those patterns. A, 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 a culture has a, I mean, this is what was so crazy. Last time we talked about this, um, Walker Percy's lost in the cop. You've made me read this. Thank you. I need to read it more. Um, but this is, it keeps coming back into chapter 18, the demon, uh, the demonic the, self, the demon, demoniac self, demoniac. Thank you. Demoniac self. So there's a process though, that he goes through that you've been going through dislodgement, eroticism. What's after eroticism? Violence. Violence. Oh my goodness violence the riots right um you know you got the la riots that happen out and you start seeing that happen far more 
Um, and then, okay, so you got riots uh, from violence. So you got violence. So first, dislodgement, eroticism, violence, and, and then what? Um, so that's the end of the process is violence? Well, it's, but it's, it's, and it, it's, the it's a repetition right so you um in the violence either by the fear or this by the fear or the pain um you feel reconnected right mm. and then so it's trying to do the same thing that eroticism does mm -hmm. connect you back to reality connect you back to reality right and so when the eroticism fails um we the it it bursts into violence and then the violence reconnects you right so i mean there's a reason you sh that we show it over and over and over and over and, um right that because and people will come back and watch it over and over because you feel the you find you feel something again right you feel reconnected um in the in the the process so I got to say something here because during the pandemic, um, I thought that people were going to go absolutely bonkers with pornography. I just was like, oh, my goodness, pornography is going to go through the roof. And so as soon as the pandemic hit, it started to. It really did. It started to go crazy. And within the month or within a couple of weeks, even people stopped engaging pornography. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so I look at the stats and it's like, oh, well, they weren't. And then right after pornography, you get the riots. Almost every city is burning, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it's, it didn't satisfy. They went and they engaged in so much pornography. They got their fill of it. And then they went numb again. The culture just went numb again. And then violence broke out. Yeah. all over America in every major city. And, and, and everybody said, well, we got to just let it happen. And there were different groups that had different reasons for that. Right. Because you had the people that um, it's like the opening of John wick, right. Where uh, the, the, the new one, when, when he comes in and he lights lights the fire, Lawrence Fishburne, did you notice the shape of the fire? It was a house. No. Right. He comes in and he lights and he, there's a giant gasoline house on the floor and he lights it and they pan up and you see the house is burning. Right. And you realize, Oh, and, and John Wick is standing at the base of it, punching. He's, he's standing punching at the foundation where the, of where the house is and the, it's all on fire. It's really a, and you realize this is oh this is what's happening this we're gonna go burn down a, the house. Spoiler like, alerts! Um, spoiler alerts! <laughs> I'm just gonna say here, it's not, I'm not. It's not my. I'm not spoiling it. They they, they made it clear from the opening scene. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. I might spoil it too. But from the opening scene, they made it clear that this is a this is a cosmic, um, a cosmic battle, uh, and which is going to be the the burning down of a cosmic house of some sort. Um, just reality. with that. That's a, that's uh, a of, really a reality, good point. Right? Um, and so you've, they, that's what, 
and they frame the entire story with that um, image, right? With that opening image, you, you don't come back to it ever, but you come back to Lawrence Fishburne who gets the last word. He gets the opening. He gets the first word. He gets the last word. Brilliant, brilliant writing. Um, and, and so that you understand this is a cosmic um, battle going on. And so every detail you should put into that perspective. They, they know if they know what they're doing, which I think they did. I mean, all the way down to, you know, the number of steps he had to climb twice and all that. Wait, what? Okay, we're going to have to talk about that. I'm going to have to go back and watch this movie again because you haven't seen it twice. So I need to go back and watch it again so we can have this conversation. <laughs> we got to watch it together. Twice. Yeah, we do. Okay, so. Do you remember then, how many steps it was? Okay. I don't. Uh, seven. Right? There's two, 222. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two, oh, yeah. Why 222? I mean, I know my take on why it's 222 and why he has to do it. Twice. Oh, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. <laughs> 222 twice. 444. So, yes. Yeah, so it's 222 and then 444. But he, he, so you, he gets to the bottom of the steps and he's, and they say, and now he must climb 222 steps to get to. Right the sunrise right and then he makes it and then he goes back down and then he makes it again right so it ends up being 444 steps to get to the sunrise um so first off just getting going having to climb to the top in order to have the final battle to bring down the people at the top which is is what this is all about right is the resetting of the re the resetting of the world literally it's the resetting of the world that's what he's there to do in a literary sense right because he starts there with the burning down of the house they're everywhere he touches they're blowing up and they're melting down the entire world just to get to him and he and so the and it's because of the people at the top that the world is actually on fire and so he has to go in and remove the people at the top at sunrise um and so you know the the second this so two is the number of separation. <laughs> I mean, get real crazy, but it always is. Right. And so I'm here um, for it. I'm here for, the number for it. Of okay. separation, Right. If you've got, if you got one, everything's unified. You got two. Everything's. Yeah. You, everything's you separate, can see that in right creation. There. God makes something he, he breaks creation. It. The second day, Separates. the second day you've got the, yep. is the day of separation. Um, Adam, the, Eve, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, so you get, um, and so it makes conflict possible, but it also makes restoration possible. Right. And he's at the bottom and you've got the other guys at the top and he's trying to get up there in order to finish the burning down of the house. Right. Um, Think of how many people John Wick kills along the way. Right? He's burning down the the world, the, uh, the the fantasy world that they've created, wherein you've got all these different assassins, right, that are just everywhere, right. 
you get to the end of the that movie, that world is gone. They're having to reset everything. Um, they've they've burned down and destroyed two of the major, uh, two of two of the major, uh, the hotels that you know um, they that obviously yeah, took yeah. years the years to put together. You've got the um, one of the houses is gone. Um, did you stay for the after credit scene? There's an after credit scene. Oh yeah, there's an after credit scene that that I think is really important to understanding okay. the whole the whole thing as well. You can tell it to me. I'm going to see it again anyway. Um, the the yeah. So spoiler alert. If you didn't know, we've been spoiling it. But <laughs> the uh, it's the um, the daughter uh, from the Osaka Hotel. Yeah, you've got you've got Kane who's got flowers walking to go reintroduce himself to his daughter who's playing violin and the daughter of the Osaka hotel uh, is sneaking up on him with a knife. Right. And so right before she jumps him, it cuts. So we don't know what happens, but the, the last thing that she said was, or the last thing he said is I'll see you coming. Right. Now he's blind, and so there's some irony to the statement. But he's, but you can't tell if he sees her coming or not. But you know that he has said he will see her coming, and so you have to assume to see her coming. But she is the end of the Osaka, the the house of Osaka, right? She's the only one left, um, and so if she dies, the house of Osaka is done. She's not married, so there's no. Uh, heir to the house of Osaka yet. Um, so the, it, it, but it's the, it, it shows, I think that they understand, well, one without that, then you've just got this weird thread hanging out there. That's incomplete. But once you add that in, it actually ties off the last bit, uh, the last question that they raised in the first act, um, which it, uh, or by the midpoint, uh, the last question that they've raised was the Kane uh, House of Osaka conflict, which is now um, out there. So you have this, um, but you have uh, John Wick going from, so he goes down all the way to the sewers underneath the city, um, all the way to the peak where the sun is coming up at the Death top of the city. Where the church Ascension. is, yeah. So, yeah. so, um, and I knew exactly. Well, and do you remember when they get to the top of the steps? What happens to him? It's yeah, cut, cutting a hand, pierced his hand. Yeah, yeah. He gets the pierced yeah. hand, starts <laughs> yeah. all off. Yeah. So he has to shoot left-handed. Um, so we've got we've got the the pierced hand. And then the last wound he gets is the pierced side. Pierced right? side. That so he goes all the way through the from the from the bowels of the earth all the way up to the top, um, and has to you know, climb the two hundred twenty two steps to get there. Um, and then he's thrown down and has to climb them again um, in order to get to the sunrise. So the. Um, <laughs> 
Oh, you already said kind of crazy. Just go for it. <laughs> right. And, and the, 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 four, the, the number four is the number of the sun, the moon and the stars. And he's there to tear down the sun, the moon and the stars. Um, and this is, this isn't, this is embedded into reality. This is not b- because of the Bible says it, right? So this is, you get this in all the great literature of the ancient world. So that the, the, the meaning of numbers. Uh, yeah. We, you know, this is where the quadrivium, that book that, yeah. that I got really helped me work yeah. through this sun, moon, stars, so, that book too. So the meaning of numbers. Yeah, that, is that the book that not, you read? You were going for that? Yeah. That's the book I was going for. Yeah. So the meaning of numbers is not something that is Im- we impose onto the, the because the world is actually an integrated whole. No, the meaning of numbers is not something we impose onto yeah. them. It's something that is within them. Right. And so all the great storytellers and storytelling and just the way that great stories end up formed this n- numeric meaning um is is there right so this is um i mean it it's the meaning you have to know this stuff even to build great buildings and great architecture this is why i hate the the um metric system right because it's an attempt to impose without the histor- the num the cosmological uh, numbers right it's an attempt to mm. impose a measurement system that that ignores the cosmological meaning of numbers. Um, and, uh, and I think that's why the communists invented the metric system because they hate the cosmos. He says, we say the metric them. system does the metric system. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I know, Jason. <laughs> no, you know, it's, inches so and feet and all that, right? The metric system is the centimeters and meters and it's evil. <laughs> No, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, right, right, I mean, right, unless, right. You're, unless you're measuring hell, don't use the metric system. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but the um, <laughs> it's the um, so because all, all of our so our our all of our geometric numbers, where which is what the the numbers we uh, you know the numeric systems are all derived from geometry. Um, they take into account that these numbers are not something that that the the numbers and the intervals and everything are not something that we impose. It's something that we learned from the world. So if you say there's 360 degrees in a circle, that's because of the number of sunrises, the, the number of movements uh, from sunrise to sunrise it would take to get all the way around if the sun just kept going in a circle, right? So we've you've talked got 360 about that. Yeah. degrees in a circle. So the, these are not numbers that the, the meaning of numbers is, is something we discover, right? There, there's an embedded meaning within is... numbers that works its way out in great stories. Right. So whether the and so it's not even something that you, that the author needs to be aware of. It's reality that that has these meanings. In the same way that he uses gravity, he can't help but use. He can't help right, but that, use. Yeah. So um, I, I was funny. So, I was think. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this today. I, I, I'll let you finish. I, I, I think about 
Let me completely destroy You know, how that you can fit almost every good story. It's inescapable. No, I don't think so. I don't think I, you know what I think it is, Jason? Uh, When, uh, no, I, I think there's a, we are so illiterate that we don't even understand what you just said. So that we don't even think about numbers in that way, right? We don't, the only time we think of it is because, and that's because of, Pastor Wilson has talked about this too. We have been trained and taught in fragmented uh, environments yeah. instead of a real, real triune universities. Universities to unify the, all the sciences together and show how they harmonize and make sense in Christ's world. When you are taught these sciences separate from each other, then you don't understand how they work in an integrated triune world. So the way that we right. think about numbers, the way that we think about math, the way that we think about even death and resurrection, 360 degrees, sunsets, um, um, moon sets, right? The way we think about these things are all separate. They're not unified, which is part of what we've been talking about this whole conversation. When we think about the world like that, then you're going to, to be dislodged and dislodged people are not going to see an integrated universe, right? They're going to not without looking inside themselves for it. And so it's, it. I don't think that this is crazy at all. I, I think that there is an ignorance to us that um, pre enlightenment we had, you know, that caused that um, medieval mind. This was part of the world that they understood. And, and and so now when you come to so I, I want to get to what you mean by the so now we got fours, so you got fours. What is the what is the the four supposed to represent in, so, in the way? Because I want you to finish because that's what we were. Yeah. So so fours are um uh, is the it's the uh, number. It's an authority number, right? It's a, so um this is why you've got the the four uh the the four thrones in narnia right what the reason you have four thrones in narnia is because the um the the well the the fourth day is the day that the authority of the sun the moon and the stars is established heavenly authority is established um and it's the um and it is the uh the all of the authorities that God establishes from then on are symbolized by the fourth day, right? So the, the, um, and so sun, moon, and then stars, you know, which is a plural adds up to four. Right. So, uh, so you have this, uh, so if you look at the mentions of the sun, the moon and the stars throughout the scriptures, most of them are metaphorical. Um, the, and having to do with the authority structures of the world, right? Um, at the top of the 444 or at the top of the stairs is the sacred heart, right? The, the, the city, the city of the sacred heart, or I mean the church of the sacred heart in, in France. Um, right. So you have this 400 he, 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 um, makes it up the steps twice. So you got, uh, in order to overthrow the authority of the world at sunrise. So say that last part again, what'd you say? 
at sunrise, sunrise. right? So the wait at the dawn. It's because it's the dawning of a new authority okay, wait, wait, structure. Wait, 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 right? wait, 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 wait. You talking about resurrection? You talking about resurrection? Is fin? So mm-hmm. is that the, the tomb opening up? Jesus is not there, and there's so the sunrise, and this is is that what you're talking about? Is that what we at? Because I'm, I'm trying to put this together. Is that what you're trying to say? It's the it's the it's the resurrection of a new world, right? A new world is born, but it's born in the death of John Wick, right? That they they're making it clear that this is a cosmic battle, and it's 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 a a new world needs to be raised from the ashes. Right? That's how they started. They burn it down. A new world is raised from the ashes, but somebody has to die to get it there, right? The the last thing he says is, can you take me home? The last thing that's said to him by Cain um, is, so the last thing he says to Cain is, you owe me. And Cain says, yep. The last thing that uh, the, that, oh, the guy that runs the New York hotel is, you, he, he he says, can you take me home? And he says, yes, right? So you've got him. Um, he, he has become the authority, but he dies by taking it to himself. And so the authority of the, of that old structure, all, I mean, this is, this is, this is just story structure stuff, right? The, um, you, you, you start reading like, Robert McKee, even who's not a Christian talking about story structure, all this stuff comes up. Uh, Brian. Um, <laughs> you are very uncomfortable right now. Oh, I know. But it's, this is be, because this is, this is fun. This is like fundamental story stuff that you, that good stories all hold. And, you know, Brian McDonald talks about a lot of this stuff, but. Armage, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what most people don't realize is yeah. this is because reality functions this way, right? This is you're you are reflect you're truly reflecting reality, and so people are like, oh, you got let's put in a Christ figure, right? Um, whole, uh, it, but if but you got to get deep foundational story structure stuff to get something this that, that like what they did with John Wick, um, was so it was so good the um that you start sounding crazy by pointing out how good it is and how fundamental they got the foundations of story the foundations of reality reflected in the way that they did this because all of a sudden you're like wait is was john wick jesus you're like no you don't understand he's a christ figure but the mm. but what did jesus do he harrowed hell he he went to the he he shook the foundations of the earth. He took all the authority of the house to himself, buried it in the grave and came out. Right. New authority. Um, yeah. New authority. Right. He, he, that wouldn't. So when, when you start talking new heavens and a new earth, um, this is new heavens and a new earth imagery. Uh, and because Christians don't believe their own theology anymore, we don't write stuff like this I mean, you do every once in a while you get like holes i think is a really good example of a of a christian getting this stuff and writing a story that has that sort of deep imagery the deep that understands the deep cosmic and Im- uh imagery of uh, uh that 
of the scriptures and takes it into his storytelling. Louis Sackar does in holes. Um, but you get, I mean, you get it in Tolkien. You, 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 when Aragorn is going to become King, he has to first pass through the paths of the dead um, and, and deal with the, uh, the, demo, the, the ghosts of the past, the ghosts of a previous generation um, in the, paths of the dead and you you do get this stuff in in the in great literature um you don't get it in movies very often <laughs> i mean i i was blown away by the writing of john wick it, the uh, and i knew i knew i was gonna love it from the op- from that opening sequence where you're walking through the bowels of the city you're you're walking through hades um in the because they set up a three-layered a three layered world and you know, everything you're walking through at, um, with the, the um, divine declarations of Lawrence Fishburne's character. Then you get to the, the imagery of the house on fire. You've got the, the thumping, the thumping of the foundations um, that uh, with the blood of John wick, <laughs> like from the beginning you're like because it opens it opens with the shot of the blood of john wick you're like oh i know where this is going if they know what they're doing i know right where this is going especially once he got stabbed in the hand you know as soon as he got pierced in the hand i was like oh they they do know what they're doing they know exactly what they're doing <laughs> so once he got pierced in the hand the second time i watched it i was i was like now i gotta i gotta find it because it's gonna be everywhere Um, so I want to take, I want to take all that you just said about story. Go ahead. People think you're crazy when you start talking this way though. Just so you know, I've seen it enough times. I start to talk about it. I don't think so. No, I mean, in, I've had, I've started uh, to have, no, no, try to explain this to people before. And have gotten enough responses of like, hey, you're being nuts and you know, you know, this is your um it's like her hermeneutical maximalisms, you know, accusations and like, but it's I I mean this this isn't something I came that I found with James Jordan, right? This is um which is what usually people say like, Oh, you're just doing right. I, this, this is, this is the study of class, the classical, this is the study of the classics, the study of classical literature, the study of the great literary um, minds, right? Arist- I mean, so a good example, like Aristotle in his poetics. So when you talk about the, um, he talks about the, the, the corporate purgation that comes from, uh, storytelling when it when storytelling reflects reality right that you that you can have be corporately purged of the the need for violence by a good story that they understood the cosmic import that that storytelling was a cosmic had had cosmic significance for a culture for a people for a, a corp for a community and what we want we we tend to think of of it as a distraction um 
and even Christians tend to think of it as a distraction, which I think is why we're bad at it. But <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. That's because we don't even read our own our own literature that is divine inspired, perfect literature. We don't even read it like literature. Um, I think you're working too hard to make your case. We just got done watching a video with five guys. Is talking about cultural appropriation uh, who are, who think that they're women. And, you know, all I have to do to people, People who think like, oh, you're working too hard. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm working too hard. <laughs> okay. Oh, but I, but it, it it it's a, it's a little like trying to translate a different language, though. Are in their sky rise building or wherever they think they are. I want to take them and I want to point out that we are getting rays from a burning flame of fire up there. See that? That's that's the sun. It's a burning flame of fire that is giving us rays that we eat. Okay. Just so you know, we eat the sun. You get that? One of the things we're made of is sunlight. That's right. You know, like, so when people get to say, oh man, that's out of here. I'm like, you think that's crazy. Like you have no room for an enchanted world universe. Like you're missing out. Like you're you're really missing the enchantment of the universe because uh, you've been infected by this uh, by the enlightenment, right? Like you, that's what's happened. Yeah. So I want to take everything that you just said about story because I think this is all connected in the poetry of it, and there has to be a way to come through and look at what we're currently at. We haven't even finished talking about the demonic possession of a culture yet, I, but. Oh, okay, man. Oh, let me save that question. Because John Wick is known to be so violent, everyone yeah. it is John Wick pointing to the fact also, though, that violence is being fed by films like John Wick. If violence is the end of the dislodgement, eroticism, sexuality, and then Viol- uh, uh, violence isn't John Wick fueling that reality of violence well what the reason what makes it different what makes it different is that it, he he puts it in the context of it's a cosmic violence and he says and what do I want to be known for a loving husband, right? Husband Violence and, in and yeah. of itself yeah. is not a oh, problem. Wow. Right? Wow. Violence. Okay. Violence is a blessing to those behind you when you're protecting them. And he shows that. Well, this is a yeah, the foot crushing the head of the serpent is violent. Exactly. Right. So, um, that's mm. what, and I think that's what is, that's what stands out about this movie. That's what, that's why John Wick resonated the way it did. Cause you have all the, all the jokes like over a dog, but anybody that's seen it says, no, it's not over a dog. 
no, what you didn't you didn't see it, did you? That wasn't about a dog. They're like, well, isn't it because they killed his dog? And they're like, yes, but no, because that dog had been imbued with all of the meaning, right? The 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 dog became the the tip of the iceberg for all of the meaning of what it means to be a husband. Right. John Wick is, he is the anti um, erotic violence. Uh, uh, he, the, he's the opposite. It's, it's all the op it's the opposite of erotic violence. It is um, the, it is the protective uh, violence of a husband who says, no, my house is a place, you know, my, it, it's, it's the, the violence protecting the marriage bed, right? It's that, and that's why, that's what, I mean, I don't know if you've seen all of those pictures of Keanu Reeves when fans come up to try and get a picture with him and he doesn't touch women. Have you seen these pictures, right? Where his, yep. he puts his arm around yeah, him because he's yeah. trying to be friendly. And it's always, there's always like two inches between him and the, and the girl, right? He, he puts his arm around guys and he gets pictures, but with a girl, he always doesn't touch them, right? He's very aware of what's going on. And it's um, right. Which right. I, I love that about Keanu Reeves. Like he's so, and, and, um, but, and, and I think J John Wick is this, uh, it's it's like a last stand to protect uh, marriage type of movie. I mean, it's really very it's okay. It's very interesting to I see because because you got violence me. isn't a I problem. Think that violence in and of itself isn't it's a problem. fascinating. It's the use of we got to go watch it together. Because... Yeah, I agree. Go ahead. I was saying uh, there was one thing about the steps that I forgot too. What was that? Those are the steps of uh, Martyr Mountain. Um, it's the first, the place of the first martyr in France in the third century. I can't can't remember what year exactly. Middle of the middle of the third century, the first martyr in France was honored by the, uh, by putting two hundred and twenty two steps onto the mountain that he um, that he was martyred at the top of. So people go there in order to walk up. It's an you know, old pilgrimage site um, where people walk up those mountains to uh, to remember the uh, that France was Christianized by uh, the willingness of this martyr. So um, I think that that <laughs> that that's also on purpose. So okay, so I want to take... whether it's on purpose from the creator or just from God, it's on purpose. I want to take the you, the ability that you have with story reading to read a story to understand uh, the creation and how God tells stories, and I want to take into our current setup that we have right now and look at the the current demonic possessed culture that we're in. Yeah, and I want to kind of read out like where this goes, where it ends, and where it goes, and then kind of what to do with it because um, I. When I that video that I played for you, I watch Republicans and I watch conservatives and I watch everybody look for a hot take, and all of them were obvious and clear. I didn't disagree with anybody's hot take, but all of them I felt like are not getting at the root of the problem. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm starting to see some people start saying, oh, that's demonic. I'm starting to see a lot more of that, which I'm grateful for, but I don't know if they know how to cast out a demon. So right. you got it in your culture. Well, that, just, yeah, go ahead. And that is the, that I think is the question that what, it, what does it come down to um, is let's say we come to the realization, oh, we've got a, a demonic problem. And, and I think we do. Part of it is, um, if you look at, um, there's a really great sci-fi novel called The Three-Body Problem that opens in during the, the communist revolution in China. And they do a really good job of explaining um, the, the way the, inter, the, the generation gap was used to inflame violence of the violence of youth uh, for the purposes of overthrowing the old world government of China and replacing it with a communist regime. So, um, so the three body problem does a really good job of showing the process, but it, but part of it is that you have to create a rivalry where I'm right because I'm in the right group. And so that dehumanizes the other group so that it doesn't matter what they say. Right. And that's a, there's um, demons thrive on rivalry, right? Because lies can, lies can exist in a rivalrous scenario that can't um, when, if everybody is, if everybody is, um, it has good faith towards one another, but in a rivalry, you stop having good faith towards one another. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I, that's what you see in this situation. Why is it that they don't care what about what everybody is saying when they point out the contradiction, because people that aren't humans can't point out the contradiction and people on the other side, don't get treated like humans anymore. And this goes both directions when you get into a political rivalry, right? So um, if, if you've got Democrats that are able to say, I don't have to take them seriously, they're Republicans. And you've got Republicans saying, I don't have to take them seriously, they're Democrats. Then we're dealing with, it, um, with a political rivalry that has dehumanized the other side. You should have if if a human being comes along and says, "Hey, man, that was uh, those you're being um, you're not you're being con self contradictory." You should stop and say, "Wait, am I?" But if somebody is if you've got if you've already got a culture that has accepted the rivalry, then you're dealing with a the you it, the what you've got to do is be in the right group, not be truthful. So okay, so I, I so this that is... that that so that's an important thing to remember because that's how the demons protect themselves. That's how you demons keep you from ever getting to the demons. You get caught up in the rivalry. You get caught up in the rivalry, right? Why is it? that the demoniac out amongst the tombs 
was protected by the city. Why did the city say, don't, don't mess with that, right? He's a monster. They're afraid of him. They're hiding from him. They don't go out amongst the tombs. It says nobody can go out there because he, he, they, they keep trying to chain him up. He breaks the chains, right? But then when Jesus says, we want to get rid of him, why is it that the city says, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the rivalry between him, this between the city and the people in the city and the demoniac makes the people in the city come to the protection of the demon when Jesus wants to get rid of it, or the demons when Jesus wants to get rid of it. They need him to exist because their corporate identity now requires the other side. Whoa. Whoa, wait a second. Wait, you wait one cotton picking minute here, mister. Are you saying, oh, there's a lot to ask here. Are you saying that, that the way that our rivalries are currently set up, we are, we are happy when we see a boogeyman to fight? Yeah. We need those men dressed as women. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. But there's 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 real wickedness here in the world. That's real <laughs> wickedness. That's really bad stuff. And we got to deal with this stuff, yeah. too. And now we didn't make these people, but they're here. So we got to deal with this stuff. Do you remember the opening of Jesus Revolution? I didn't see the film. Oh, yeah. You didn't yeah. see the film. I want to. Oh, they do a really good job with this. OK, this is one of the reasons I really liked it. It opens with Chuck Smith's sermon dehumanizing the hippies right saying they're what's wrong with the world well right right well i mean have you That's, seen them <laughs> the, um it's it, it they do they do so and and i so i really like the writing in jesus revolution because the uh now i've got there was some theological problems i think sure, in the sure, movement sure. there was something you know so this is not um the the last scene pass. made me super uncomfortable um and uh when you see it we'll have to talk about the keys and the way keys are used as a symbol throughout the movie um i think they do it in a good they do it well but they face the they face the um symbolism in the wrong direction with the keys uh -huh. but um okay because of a theological problem. Um, but what you have is right now, um, most churches wouldn't know what to do with a homosexual that walked through the front door because they have, um, most conservative Christians have set up a rivalry that is based in corporate justification, meaning we exist, we, we are the right group of people, right? We're the justified group of people. Our, we're corporately justified as a, as a group because we're not them. This is why you see people fall apart when you start talking about God um, or the gospel actually saving pedophiles. When you see right. the gospel saving those people and those people, right. That there's, there's a breakdown. Yeah. That because our corporate justification is by works. 
by avoidance, right? So remember the doctrines of demons all have to do with avoidance, right? Uh, if a demon gets into the pulpit, he starts preaching about what to avoid. That doesn't mean that there's not things we're supposed to avoid, but we have the same reason that um, you you avoid erotic violence, right? We We shouldn't get involved with erotic violence, but that's because there's a good thing to protect, right? There's a good thing to do. The, the avoidance isn't in itself a justifying act, right? The um, corporate, and we, we understand that usually with, well, it's getting, that's, it's gotten shakier and shakier in even <laughs> in personal justification, but in corporate justification, we don't get this at all justification is always by faith whether it's individual whether it's corporate right it's jesus jesus it's it's faith in jesus that justifies whatever kind of justification the church has and corporate just you know be, we want to be in the right right we want to be a group of people we want to be a, a corporate group that are that are in the right but that's by faith because of what Jesus has done only. And we've, but we have, because we don't think in terms of corporate justification, because we, we have lost the category altogether. Um, it doesn't mean that that isn't something that still is active in the world. It means we just end up doing it by works. Um, mm. and we end up being susceptible to the lies of the devil. And so when the devil comes preaching, he comes preaching justification by avoidance. Um, we're told in Timothy, we, um, he, he, he comes after specifically, uh, he comes after uh, uh, marriage and sexuality. He, and he comes after food um, and he comes after the calendar, right? And, and we're justified by avoidance um, in. Yeah. Cause in, Timothy was dealing with demon possessed culture, right? He was dealing with the yeah, same thing. Exactly. And, and so he says, what are the doctrines of demons? Right. It, uh, and and Timothy, the entire book of Timothy is built around the question of Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam's failure and how to learn from Adam's failure to do what's right as the leadership of the church, as the pastors and elders and deacons of the church. They should be good. They should not fail where Adam did fail. Adam let the devil keep preaching. Right. Um, Adam didn't, he didn't stand against, uh, the falsehoods of the devil with the truth. Um, Adam let his, uh, let his wife, even let his wife listen to the devil, uh, when he, once he realized that it was demonic and then he let his wife preach. Wow. When he preached the thought. sermon of the day. Preach the of sermon the... of the day of the day. Yeah, the preach the sermon um uh, of, of, the, of the of the serpent. The, uh of the serpent. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so that's why Timothy 2 is you know you've got Adam and Eve and then and it ends with saying Paul Paul says like I don't allow I'm tweeting that, bro. Right? <laughs> I did, I don't allow women to teach. Right? They don't they don't get us they don't get to preach the sermon. Um, because of the garden, right? that's what he says, right? Bec that, that's the argument, because because Adam was supposed to 
and he failed. Now he did the day he did at the beginning of the day, but he didn't later in the day. Right. So Adam started by teaching Eve. You're not supposed because because Eve wasn't created yet when Adam was given the job of or it was given the command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when the serpent comes along and asks, Eve knows that he, they're not they're not supposed to do that. Then um, Eve is tricked by the serpent and Adam lets her then preach or he hands he you he hands over the 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 preaching role to her right after she has been listening to the serpent well he had, he handed over all roles to her too didn't he because at that point you have he was supposed to be the protector as well so he's not protecting mm-hmm. he lets her tell yeah. him what the standards are he's the whole all the roles switch yeah and when she sees it was beautiful, good for food, and would make her wise, she takes and she eats and hands it to him. Right? She takes over the sacramental leadership because of Adam's failure to 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 protect. So that's so then Gen, uh, Timothy two fifteen is now she will be saved through childbearing, right? Eve is given, so Eve was tricked and Paul agrees, Eve got tricked, right? Adam's the one that tore, that that brought the human race into sin um, by letting Eve get tricked. Uh, And so when Eve confesses to God, I was tricked, she's telling the truth and Paul agrees with her in Timothy. Paul says, yes, Eve was telling the truth. Right. That was a confession. I got tricked. Um, and you shouldn't be able to get tricked. But Adam was helping the serpent in that situation trick Eve with his silence. But then it says she will be saved through childbearing. And that's the a reference back to Genesis 3.15. Right? The promise is that through the womb, um, a savior would come. And then... 3 verse 1, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 is, now anyone who desires the office of overseer, now he's just been talking about Adam failing as an overseer. So when he says, but if anyone desires the office of overseer, he desires a good thing. Let me tell you um, what it means to be good, uh, uh, what it means to have the right kind of character to be good as an overseer. And then he he walks through the requirements for the office of elder, and then and in the midst of it he says, and who would and if he can't take care of his own household, how's he going to take care of the household of God? Well, right, that there's a fundamental, true allegorical connection between the the man's ability, uh, the man's faithfulness as a husband and father, and his faithfulness as an elder, which is where Adam failed, right, uh, and then. Uh, both you know, both at once because Eve was the entire congregation in the, that setup. And then he goes into deacons and it's the same sort of thing, but it's not a teaching ministry. It's a service ministry. Um, and then in four, he goes into now the office of pastor, right? The sacramental, um, the sacramental uh, office of, of minister. Um, 
and I know there's this, I know there's disagreements about the number of offices and all of that. And th- th- that isn't the important thing in the scenario because he says is a pro- it protects by the word, which is what Adam failed to do. He heard the word, he spoke the word, but he didn't protect with the word. And that's, and Timothy is told if you're going to war a good warfare, he needs to have his doctrine straight. He needs to understand the word and, he, and then he needs to wield it against the lies of the devil. And that's when we're told the doctrines of demons will come, right? So the the household of God, the garden of God, the the church in, Wait, the, in the new okay. covenant. Go back, go is, back. You, you, I, I got to catch this. He heard the word. He He heard the word and then he's supposed to preach. But he didn't protect uh, and, by the word, and then it pre- preach the truth and um, oppose the lies with the word. Right? That's that's and that's how he wars a good warfare as a pastor. Right? And the the and because the devil continues to attack the garden of God, but the church is the garden of God now, right? The Garden of Eden um, is metaphorically, allegorically, historically, truly, all of the ways, um, is the new Garden of God. And we should expect the same sort of thing, right? The devil, with his lies, will come after the Eve of the new Adam, and the pastor is supposed to protect it. And so his job protecting women as a husband and father, women and children as a husband and father, is a central part of his preparation to have the kind of faith that you need to protect the church, right? Because it's the same sort of thing, um, but it's just you're protecting God's bride, Christ's bride, um, instead of your own. So, um, and then it, and then you know, as that goes well, you get into chapter five and the need for a multi-generational um, church because you need the wisdom of uh, once it's protected, then the wisdom that Eve was going to bring is brought by the widows in the church. Um, you know, the older women in the church uh, become uh, I mean, the the logic of the passage is well of course you've got to talk about then if you've got a well protected church where is the wisdom uh hidden that Eve was supposed to bring to Adam because that's what Genesis 2 is about is the wisdom that Eve brings to Adam to be able to accomplish the dominion in the world we should expect the church to have it and it's going to be in the widows um uh-huh. and the older women in the church you know that there's a that there's a deep wisdom that the world needs that is cultivated um and found in the older women in the church and so if a widow who has served the church well is um doesn't have family to take care of her then the church should make sh- you need her so the church should make sure that she's well taken care of right so the um that it's it's all Adam and Eve, it's all Adam and Eve in the garden logic, right? That makes sense of First Timothy. Uh, um, uh, you know, 
in, in the way I see and understand it. Well, that kind of logic then, the, the logic as a whole, I think we need to bring into our situation and say, well, where are, where are those doctrines of demons and how are we using the scriptures to oppose them, right? To protect the good things so that the good things flourish, mm. right? We're not justified by opposing the bad things, right? We're justified by faith. And then what is what does faith bring into the world? Well, faith brings into the world the works that we that were prepared for us beforehand. And what are the works that were prepared for the church beforehand? It's the bringing of the wisdom for dominion into the world. And where are we going to find that? We're going to find that in well-loved women in the church, right? Um, just like in the Garden of Eden. And then the men um, receive that, receive and and come to understand that wisdom by taking care of their wives and by and living in a community with well-loved and cared for and protected women, safe women that know they're safe. Um, and then they take that understanding out into the world and take dominion and bring the world to its intended end. Right. That's, um, and we, we see that the world is not being that, you know, that our nation is not being brought to its intended end, right? The number of kids, you, uh, the population is starting to decline. Um, you, the, we're starting to back away from our cities uh, um, and they're reverting, you know, to, uh, the, you know, the, it, the, we've got a place that's being de-gardenized in a lot of ways. You look at a place like Detroit, um, once a great city, you know, mm. less. You, this, communism, fascism, fascism always does this. You've got giant empty tracts of city in China now. Um, because the one child policy is demonic, right? He, so the devil doesn't want the world gardened because it reminds him of God. He doesn't want us acting, functioning as gardeners because it, it reflects God as people that have dominion over the world. It reflects God. Uh, he, he wants us giving up our authority and walking away from it because our authority when it's wielded properly brings things to their intended end. He doesn't want that. Right. And so one child policy is a great demonic way of making sure there are fewer Chinese people in the world so that you can have, uh, so that China will not be, uh, people won't take dominion of China and go get all those resources and become, uh, a powerful force for dominion in the world. Right. Um, you, a great book about this. Um, it's called all the trouble in the world uh, by PJ O'Rourke. And he's got a chapter in there called um, too many of you and just the right number of me <laughs> <laughs> about uh, the, the policies um, of world, the World Health Organization, the policies of of America that try to depopulate our enemies, um, the the attempts to depopulate, uh, the, the evil evil stuff has gone on, um, especially the World Health Organization, of doing things that they know um, make it impossible for women to have children, right? 
to go in and lower the population of lots of areas of brown skinned people, especially um, that, that the world health organization has gone out and tried to make sure that populations go down, but that's because of the doctrine of demons. And so when you've, so homosexuality makes a lot of sense in that situation. You don't want, you want fewer people to come into the world. Well, in that situation, even, um, even, uh, you know, just men and women sleeping together outside of marriage isn't enough because they they could still have kids there. You got to, you got to push all the way to something that won't ever make any children because the devil wants fewer children. I need to take that last half of everything you just said in the last 10 minutes and listen to that on repeat a couple times. Um, so when you have a demonic, a demon-possessed culture, you really need men who are godly men who fear the Lord. I keep thinking of Titus. Paul writes to Titus and says, you need to finish up what I've started. And, yeah. and he makes it of first importance to put godly men in positions of offices that protect the church. To protect the and church, he lists, yeah. he lists out what those godly men look like and where, where they are. He's put them in place. And yeah. then there, there's a – go ahead. But, but you, you are protecting the church from um, – the unscrupulous but also from the scrupulous because one of the things that the demons come in or the the doctrine one of the part of the doctrine of demons is they want to make up rules that touch mm. not taste not rules um that control you know, that that control um but they control in such a way that it destroys community yeah right so it pulls it pulls people away from one another. So, because um, it's it's not a matter because protection isn't just a matter of saying we're the most scrupulous people, right? Protection is something that um, is protection from the things that destroy uh, the community of the church, and sin does that but it's really only unconfessed sin that does that right confessed sin doesn't destroy the church but um mm. it, it's uh but but rules that are that replacing the justification by faith with justification by rules whether it's corporate or individual is one of the most destructive things and that, so that's why demons come in saying touch not taste not let's we're, you know we're gonna we're gonna get real real scrupulous about holiness and ramp it up in here that's just as destructive as hey we're not gonna worry at all about sin well matter of fact that's the first place it, that's where you it starts at so if you got a church now uh the bride of christ that is listening to the serpent on these things or you're and, and you're not you know and you're acting and listening and being like the first adam where you're letting that sermon be preached in the garden, then guess what? You're going to have a demon possessed culture right there inside of your church. It's going to bleed out into the rest of society. 
Yeah. And because what's crazy is when um, you know, when they want to go find when when it's time to go cast out a demon, they don't just find them out um, in, amongst the pagans. They also find them in the synagogue, synagogue, right? synagogue yeah, of the, Satan. Right. The, yeah. So so by, you know, by the time you get to the um, by the time you get to, you know, the the end of the uh, the end of the book of Acts, the synagogues are now being called the synagogues of Satan, right? So it's 60, uh, 61, 62, whenever Revelation was written. Um, Now these synagogues are synagogues of Satan. Now, when when Jesus shows up, there are demons there, but you don't yet have the declaration that the synagogue system has been given over to Satan, right? He cleanses it. Jesus goes around cleansing all sorts of things. Now it's not enough to be cleansed. You also have to be filled with the spirit though, with the Holy spirit um, because otherwise it's, there's an, an opening left for the repossession, um, which I think is, I mean, I think that's what, uh, that's what leads to the, the violence of 66, 60, 66 to 70 AD you start having riotous violence break out in Jerusalem. It gets very, very bad. Um, <laughs> they call that same cycle. <laughs> yeah, same that same cycle again. Um, to the point where in sixty nine the um, the Roman Empire starts. They're so concerned, but they but they th- that because the bodies are piling up on one end of Jerusalem, and and they're there it's like a public health problem it smells so bad right like it, so there there the it's very if you read josephus it's really interesting because the roman empire they, they've kind of worked out a deal like oh the jerusalem kind of gets to run its own thing until they start killing each other and the bodies pile up and the you know you've got this you've got like okay this is a public health issue and it's like this group runs in and kills all the priests and then um the next group runs in and kills all that group and then the next group runs in and kills all that group and they're just tossing the bodies right it becomes an incredibly violent um city uh but it wasn't like that right when jesus shows up but he does find demons existing happily in the synagogues right so it doesn't become really the a system given over to the devil well, I mean, with a systematic possession, I think you brought this up before, too. But you have the Levitical code of the priest cleansing and Jesus does that. That's why you have the double cleansings, right? Jesus comes yeah. in, cleanses the temple and sees if anything goes back and um, he's found to be unclean. He's like, hey, this is over. This is yeah. going to take this place out. <laughs> right. 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 It's growing yeah. mold again. <laughs> and, and Yeah, because because sometimes people people don't realize that Jesus cleansed the temple twice. It's three and a half years apart. Um, He, he cleanses the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And then he comes back and he cleanses it again. Um, Yeah. Which I, which I, I I believe lines up with um, Leviticus and the house leprosy laws. Um, And so when he cleanses it that second time, he walks out and says, not one stone will be left upon another, which is what you're supposed to do with a house that you've cleansed and the leprosy grows back is not allow one stone to be left upon another. Um, and so I think you've got, there's a cosmic, um, 
a, a cosmic Le, Leviticus is a cosmic book um, and should be read as a cosmic book. Um, and it's a cosmic book that while they were in the land was symbolically enacted, right? Um, as a, as a, and it was, but it was all these small stories, all these, this cosmic story that was symbolically enacted. Um, I mean, I, I would say one of the most helpful things for me in learning, uh, learning story theory was Gordon Wenham's book on Leviticus. Um, it's very, very helpful because he shows how the, these, the symbolic stories function. Um, and Gordon Wimmick, Gordon Wenham, uh, Wenham, Wenham W E N. I don't know. It's, uh, it's this one, the new international commentary in the old Testament. I just bought another. Okay. Yeah. He also, his, his commentary on numbers is also really, it's got a whole section. This guy's, he's just like your average Presbyterian dude, right? But his book on numbers has this whole section on cosmic cosmic numerology. It's amazing. <laughs> Jason, <wow. laughs> but you're not supposed to say numerology, though. What do what do we call it? Because it's definitely not numerology. This whole commentary set. I, I just <laughs> bought the 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 Proverbs version of this commentary set. Is this whole set pretty good? New International um, Commentary on the Old I, Testament. Uh, Craigie on Deuteronomy is awesome. Um, Wenham's stuff is really good. I don't know if I've read beyond that in the Old Testament set. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I got Bruce Walk. I Walk- buy him Walk- the time. Uh, yeah, Bruce Walk. He he he's really good on the literary stuff. Yeah. Uh, I gotta go back and listen to that again. That's really good. I wish we had more time. I don't know how we get to two hours, but we somehow we do. I got to go back and re- and fix some of this editing, but man, that's, I think I'm not done. I think we need to have another week on this. Okay. I'm not done I, here because I, I want to press in on this last half, which is when you have a demon possessed culture, the way you deal with it is in gardening properly, right? Like that's, Part of it, but then so then I wonder where the, you know, it, you don't. Paul is dealing with this with Timothy, but he's not. You know, you're not casting out demons, but this is somehow have an effect. I want to talk about how that effect happens. As you, you know what yeah. I mean. I I mean I think that the um the and man we didn't even talk about calendar. I think yeah, calendar. Know? I think the man amongst the tombs though is the. That's the key. 